This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer Worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik, in for Libby Snymer this week. Statistics Canada released new numbers showing there are more adults, 65-plus in this country, than there are children under the age of 16. We'll talk about it with generational author Peter Sherman and the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto's gearing up for its annual fundraising walk. I'll be speaking with the CEO of the organization about it in just a moment. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Prince Philip will soon be lightening his workload. A statement from Buckingham Palace says the 95-year-old Duke of Edinburgh will no longer carry out public engagements starting this fall. Prince Philip will remain the patron, president, or a member of some 780 organizations, but will no longer play an active role by attending engagements after August. The statement followed hours of speculation about the health of the Queen and her husband after Britain's Daily Mail reported on an unusual meeting of royal household staff. 91-year-old Queen Elizabeth will continue with public engagements and is said to be fully in support of her husband's decision. At age 84, Zoomer legend Carol Burnett might be going back to work. Burnett recently shot a pilot for a new show called household name, playing an eccentric, aging movie star who arranged to continue living in her old mansion, even though the home's new owners, a young family, have already moved in. The show's being produced by Amy Poehler, who would play Burnett's daughter in future episodes. American regulators have approved a new drug that harnesses the immune system to treat bladder cancer that's spread after chemotherapy or surgery. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved Imfinzi for advanced bladder cancer along with a companion test for identifying which patients are most likely to benefit from it. Imfinzi is part of a new generation of drugs that stimulate the immune system to help fight cancer. May is Bladder Cancer Awareness Month in Canada. He may be 83 and still dodging a long-running underage sex abuse case in the U.S., but film director Roman Polanski is still making movies, and his latest film is heading to the Cannes Film Festival. The French festivals announced that Polanski's, based on a true story, will play out of competition. It's a French-language thriller which stars former Bond girl Eva Green. The Cannes Film Festival opens May 17th, runs through the 28th. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. With more Zoomers in this country than ever before, there are some concerns about the financial cost down the road. One researcher at the University of B.C. says that any increase in health care spending won't begin to cover the cost of health care needed to deal with the increasing number of boomers out there. But is it really that dire? 
Peter Sherman, a government relations specialist and generational speaker who wrote the book Millennials, Boom or Bust, joins us now. Peter, did you see this development coming? This was never going to be a surprise, Bob. Uh, This was predictable, and it was predicted for probably the last 10, 15 years. Sociologists and people who are in leadership roles, in fact, I remember using it myself when I was in the legislature of Ontario, were saying that the largest cohort in the population would be above age 65, and that would come in 2017. Well, we're in 2017. So we are a gray population, and we don't run the show anymore. The younger people do. So it's kind of interesting having such a large number of older people, and we still have votes and we're still vital, but a lot of us don't still work, at least not in the same way. Is there any reason for concern that we're leaving it to the younger people? I know I'm going to sound like my late father in saying this, but is there any reason to be concerned? No, I don't think there is. I think that uh, every generation has a line of demarcation. Uh, This particular generation, the millennials, and to a lesser extent Gen X, look at the line of demarcation as the 08-09 Great Recession, because what they saw rather than felt was parents, and even more so grandparents, who had carefully saved a lifetime for a nest egg that would keep them going and and would have kept them going. But then, with the stock market crashing and staying down for about two years, had to dip into the nest egg. And that's why we see a lot of gray-haired people uh, asking, will there be fries with that and so forth. So the younger people have seen that, have taken that as um, an indication of how they should live their lives and where they should go. And as a result, one of the things I can tell you is that millennials in the research that I've done turn out to be the best savers uh, in the last three generations. So it's unlikely, unless there's some cataclysmic event, God forbid, in the future, that these are going to be the people who fall short. They were obviously paying close attention to what was going on with uh, their elders and said, that's not for me. Well, and and I think that that's a a good lesson. If if you go back uh, to my generation, I I actually attended Woodstock, and that was a big line of demarcation. It it had to do with the uh, Vietnam War, in which our colleague boomers in the United States were involved, and we were involved, at least on a mental level. Uh, so 500,000 people get together where they thought maybe 10 or 20,000 would come to listen to rock music, and they made a statement, and that changed everything. In fact, what it changed, first of all, was who was leading the Western world, who was going to lead our country, and who was going to control the vote, and uh, we took control, and we've had it. By we, I mean the baby boomers for 50 years. So. That's about what a generation gets these days. We've had our 50 years, we've had some successes, and we've messed some things up. It's now time for a new generation to say, well, we're going to clean up the things we don't like, and they point to the environment and say, you didn't steward it properly. Uh, They point to uh, the excesses and how everybody seemed to think they needed a three or 4,000-foot house and two cars in, uh, in the driveway. And generally speaking, that's not felt to be essential anymore. So these things are being changed. And I think that that's normal in generational change and as it should be. So to those listening who still might be a little concerned, you're saying don't be worried. All you have to do is look back at history and things tend to take care of themselves. They have to take care of themselves. Um, When I wrote a book uh, that came out last year called Millennials Boomer Bust. It had a subtitle, has a subtitle, and uh, it was How Gen Y Will Save the World. And the question that I'm constantly asked is, uh, 
what does this mean, how Gen Y will save the world? And I say, well, it, it doesn't matter how they save the world. It matters that they save the world, and they have to save the world. That's the motivation. You have to save the world because there are too many things that are left unattended, conspiring to hurt you. Looking ahead over the course of the next hundred years, which is roughly what a baby born today would uh, would have to look forward to in terms of... Uh, I guess a little bit of an extended lifespan from the current 83, 84 years in Canada. Can he or she expect to be around if uh, some things are not taken care of? What things are you talking about? Well, things that are on the macro level, like what North Korea is doing, uh, the goals of China and Russia, and uh, the economic power of India, the quality of the air we breathe. There are a lot of things that have to be taken care of. You take a look at what millennials are already doing about it. They're demanding that the companies that they go to work for uh, be companies that have a degree of social responsibility that in a way is complementary to what we've always left the government to do. And, and government, you know, government's that organization that uh, Ronald Reagan once quoted when he asked the question, uh, how would you like somebody to walk up to you and say, hi, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you? Uh, no such thing. So you've got to do it yourself. And, and that's what this generation's about. A generation that's like that has my confidence. What do you say to those boomers, Zoomers, that wonder who's going to care for them now? Or should they really just, they should have done a better job if they're concerned? Well, they maybe should have done a better job looking out for themselves and planning for this day rather than expecting uh, someone else to help. Well, it's easy to say you should have planned better. Right. You know, and, but some people don't, or in some cases, some people can't. We have to bear in mind that uh, if you take the province of Ontario, you're looking at a population where uh, about 70% of the population does not have a pension of any kind. So 30%, you know, work for banks and the government and so forth, they have pensions. The rest of us are existing on whatever we've saved. Maybe we're lucky enough to uh, have some equity in our homes, which we're seeing a lot of these days because of home prices, but there's no guarantee that they hold. And maybe some of us will put away a few bucks in an RSP. But the ones that don't, it's interesting to, to look at it. You divide it into, into separate sections. People who are quite poor and have lived their lives that way will take the Canada pension uh, and old age supplements, and they'll live fine because they know how to make do on small amounts of money. People who are very wealthy don't really care what comes from the government. So it's the middle class that we have to worry about, and it's the people within the middle class who didn't start saving early enough who we will have to take care of. But you know what? I think that we're a compassionate society. I think we have ways to manage that. And I think that the lesson is, uh, if, if there are people listening to us now who can speak to their adult children or adolescent children, or if there are adolescent children or young adults listening to us, say to them, you know what? It's never too early to start saving because at the end of the day, you're going to be responsible for your own um, quality of life when you get north of 60. Amen. Peter Sherman, thank you for your time. My pleasure. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. The annual walk for Alzheimer's is coming up soon. We'll speak with the CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto when we return. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. 
The Walk for Alzheimer's will take place May 27th across the city at three different locations. The walk's to raise money for Alzheimer's treatments and to help families deal with the stress of a diagnosis. And the people at the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto know what that's like. CEO Kathy Barrick joins us now. Kathy, you have a personal connection with the disease. Unfortunately so. Three of my uh, four grandparents had dementia. I was very close to them growing up, and uh, when they had dementia, I saw it firsthand. So this job really just seemed like a natural. And that's what happened based on your personal experience with your grandparents and what they went through. You somehow wanted to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. I loved my grandparents, and I've actually always loved working with uh, older people. And then, uh, like I said, having seen them experience dementia when I, this job came available, I, I knew it was for me. What's coming up later this month, not only in Toronto, it's happening uh, across the province, but uh, on the 27th, what's going on in Toronto? Yeah, so at the end of this month, at three locations in the city, we have our annual Walk for Alzheimer's, which is a really great event. Three locations in the city this year, Etobicoke, Christie Pitts, and North York. Now, what takes place during these events? So these events are actually really special to us because they are volunteer-led events. So we have a group of committed volunteers that work with their family and friends to put on these events. And so it's really a bunch of people that come together that care about the cause, want to raise money and raise awareness and try to make a difference in the lives of people with dementia. If someone listening is wondering, oh, I'm, I'm kind of interested, what would happen at these locations uh, on the 27th? Well, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So, you know, it's usually a, a group of a few hundred people, and uh, we usually get together. It's in a park, so people would come and register. We have entertainment, some food, and then, you know, all together we walk. Um, each committee has sort of devised a route within their park that they're working in, and so we'd all walk together. And actually, it's a really great time for our people to connect with others who have been affected by this disease. How many years now for the Toronto Walk? This will be the third year. Is it a case of this kind of was a brainchild of yours to to do something like this? Well, I didn't come up with the idea of the Walk for Alzheimer's, but I was certainly one of the first ones on board. And for the first year in Toronto, I actually voluntarily chaired outside of my job to uh, to chair one of the walks, put my money where my mouth is, and uh, got a group of my family and friends together to organize the first walk in Etobicoke. And since then, it's just uh, grown and grown. And you've noticed a difference ever since that first year in the succeeding years? Yeah, absolutely. People keep coming back, which is always a wonderful thing, and they keep bringing new people with them. So, you know, one thing is every year we seem to raise more money, which is amazing because it goes to help people in the community living with dementia. But on top of that, more and more people come. You know, we're raising awareness and people are understanding that this is a disease that is affecting all of us, really. That is true. Anyone who's gone through it, as you have, knows that. Someone maybe who's been fortunate and it hasn't happened, maybe, and hopefully it, it never will to any of their family members. But the, I guess the message that is to come out at these events that you're trying to, to make as a society... Well, we like to say that, uh, you know, there's lots of life left after a diagnosis, and that's really the kind of thing that we work on and focus on here at the Alzheimer's Society is that even though people have been diagnosed with a disease that we all know is is not a pleasant one and it's very difficult for families, um, we really endeavor to help families and people with dementia, you know, look at ways that they can still contribute and enjoy the life that they have left. And so, you, you know, you'll see that at the walks, you see that in all the work that we do here. 
you mentioned all the work that you do. It's not like you plan for the walk on the 27th and then on the 28th review it and say, okay, let's start working on on next year. There are a lot of days in between and a lot of things that, that you people do. What are some of the things that the society is, is doing in between the walks? So the money that we raise at the walk uh, goes right back into the community. So we have offices throughout the city that offer programs, you know, um, recreational types of programs for people with dementia and their caregivers. We have support groups, counselling, we have a financial assistance program, a lot of great stuff to, A, you know, give people with dementia and their families something to do. Um, But probably the most important thing is we help connect people with other people in the same situation as them, which is probably the most helpful thing of all. Until the end of the month, maybe somebody listening might want to check out the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto website and then maybe even check out the walk on the 27th. Kathy Barrick, CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto, all the best and plenty of sunshine on that day for you. Thank you very much. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby's Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Frankie Valley is still quite active. We'll celebrate his 83rd birthday when we return. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby's Nimer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. The Gagosian Gallery in London has opened a major retrospective on the work of Pablo Picasso, which is being curated by Picasso's friend and biographer, Sir John Richardson. The exhibition is comprised of paintings, drawings, sculpture, prints, and ceramics. The National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington has opened its first special exhibition featuring photographs of historical figures and key events in African American life. More than a picture includes portraits and images from the civil rights movement. On Broadway this week, fondue fountains were flowing at the Lunt Fantan Theater when Charlie and the Chocolate Factory officially opened. Tony Award winner Christian Burrell plays the lead. And some of the greatest treasures of the British Library are on exhibit at the National Library of China in Beijing. The material on display spans Shakespeare to Sherlock Holmes and includes the works of Charles Dickens, Charlotte Bronte, and Ian Fleming's 007 adventure, The Living Daylights. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, Frankie Valli celebrated his 83rd birthday. The pop vocalist is best known for being the front man of the Four Seasons. Their story is well known from the hit musical and movie Jersey Boys. Over their career, the Four Seasons had dozens of songs which reached the top of the Billboard charts. And even after all these years, Frankie Valli's still going strong. Right now, we travel back to 1962 and hear the Four Seasons with their first number one hit, Here's Sherry. That was the Four Seasons with Sherry, lead vocalist Frankie Valli, celebrating his 83rd birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick, and thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week and stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy.
This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.